God, for what you've given. Jesus on the cross, forgiveness, mercy, grace, abundance. Would you now take what we're giving back, bless it, use it for the furtherance of the kingdom, the rule and the reign of Jesus here and forever. Amen. Good morning again. Great to see you all. Uh, Jane and I were not here last Sunday. We were visiting a child in Nashville. Um, but when I was here two Sundays ago, I, and this isn't the sermon, I promise, though there are three points in this intro. <laughs> um, I sat in the back because the youth were leading the service. They were doing every part of the service two weeks ago. And I sat in the back, and honestly, I wept like a baby. Maybe worse than a baby. I wailed. <laughs> Some of you sitting back there might have thought, I think he's having a nervous breakdown. Not yet. I just was crying. I just couldn't stop crying, literally. And um, I realized only afterwards what was causing the emotion. And one, I realized these are our youth. I just was so proud. I had a, they're not my children, but I had a father's pride just, you know, watching them from start to finish give their gifts away and worship God and lead the whole congregation in worship. I was astounded, and it, it took me to tears. The second thing that was happening is, especially during communion, I was watching everyone walk forward. And I realized I don't know everybody's story here, but I know a lot of stories here. And it just, it brought me to tears just thinking, I know these people. I know so many of these stories. And I think the, the tearful part for me, one part of that was the courage and the faith that it takes for each of you and me, but each of you to come each Sunday to worship, I mean, just the courage to walk in with the stories that you carry, the things that you walk in and through. I just, I felt sort of a humility, a humble pride, and wow, here we are, God. We're desperate, we're broken, but we're coming after you anyway, and we're walking into your presence, and it made me cry. And thirdly, and I'll try to keep this positive if I possibly can, um, I could feel as I watched some of you um, the failure um, in some ways of the church and even myself. We just sang, you know, God, you'll never fail. You'll never fail. You'll never, never fail. And it's true. But, but we people, we will fail. And so I could feel that, um, not just for myself, but kind of for the church, yeah, um, local, but also worldwide. There are just ways that we have failed. And God brings us back in his mercy time after time. And so hopefully so as not to go into condemnation at that point, which is what the enemy of our souls would love, right? You know what he says. I felt the conviction of God, like, okay, God, we will fail. And we will, we will fail people. We will fail you, but we're coming back. We're not going to give up. We're not, we're not going to just cash it in. We don't have, uh, we aren't, we're not perfect as people, but God, you're more than enough. You have everything for us. So I just felt that the need to say as a sort of fatherly encouragement, man, you're awesome. <laughs> uh, we are awesome because we serve an awesome God. Okay. I'm, I'm bringing a lot this morning. Uh, I'm just going to confess that right up front. If you have a Bible, open to Romans chapter 12. We're only going to look at three verses, but this is the Apostle Paul after all. And he's got a lot to say in three verses. Um, 
So here's what I want to do um, so that we start in the proper attitude and perspective. I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to read the scripture just once at first. And then um, I want to just sit under the scripture. I want us each to allow the Holy Spirit who inspired the words to have the first shot at us, <laughs> to have the first uh, uh, opportunity to speak to us through the scripture. So I'm going to leave a little time just to be silent, to, to, to sit under the word and to listen to what God might say to you. And then I'm going to read it again as we're standing and I'll pray and then we'll, uh, we'll go into the message. This is the word of God from Romans chapter 12, 1 to 3. This is his word for us this morning. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good pleasing and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, Holy Spirit, we, we take some time to be quiet and we ask that you would speak to us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think, Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for this word inspired by you, manifested to us through this scripture, and we ask now in the name of Jesus, apply this word to our hearts. And we ask that as we walk out today, we would be different people than the ones that walked in. We will have... Uh, been before your word, in your presence, with your people, and we would be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated. This passage, these first three verses of Romans 12, they read a little bit like, um, like a halftime message of a really devoted coach. The first 11 chapters of Romans, which I will not go into right now, um, are kind of the, the, the theological meat of Paul's letter to the Romans. Lots of truth, lots of, um, lots of theology, lots of content. 
And as with many, uh, uh, most of the letters of the New Testament, the writer begins with, here's the truth, here's the guts, here's the content, here's what you need to know. And then, and then they shift, and here's Paul shifting in Romans 12 to the application. Now you know it all, <laughs> you know a lot, now let's go do it. Let's apply it, let's get out there. You know, imagine Paul is your coach. Now get out there, knock him in, knock him out, knock him dead. Knock him alive. Do something out there. Uh, I was never a coach. <laughs> John, you can help me, maybe. <laughs> Go get him. That's it. So now it's time for action. Uh, a big part of the context for Paul, the first 11 chapters of Romans, is mercy. And so Paul begins this sort of urging us um, by the mercies of God. In the context of mercy, he says, here's what I, here's what I want you to do. The context is mercy. So he begins, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, he starts with mercy. So there's sort of the larger context, and now for the, the tighter context of Paul's message, let me give the big picture of the smaller context, and you'll see me sort of develop this. So if you hear, there are a, a couple of points that I want to frame this whole, what I'm calling this morning, a pattern for daily living. I think that's how Paul intended this, a pattern for our, our, our daily life. Not a one-time shot that we come in and get all this done, but actually the way we're called to live every single day of our lives until the Lord takes us into life eternally. So he begins with mercy and he closes with grace. So in the context of God's mercy, this is what begins it all. He says, present yourself, holy, your, your whole self, sort of a God-take-me-all attitude, and then be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The way your mind changes, your life will change, and you're transformed by God, not by self, in order to go out into the world and actually show the world what it looks like to follow Jesus. And then Paul, in verse 3, says, now considering the grace that has basically been dumped on you and me, I mean, the grace from heaven just on us, he says, now think about yourself in a way that makes sense in view of God's mercy and his grace with what you have. Think about yourself in a, in a proper way and walk into the world with humility. And then the rest of uh, Romans 12 will be Paul talking about how do we use the gifts that, Paul, uh, that God gave us in his grace to be Jesus out in the world. So that's kind of the, the context so with big applicable concepts like this, um, it's clearly not a one-time exhortation. This is clearly a call to live like this every single day. Um, it's a pattern for daily living. So just for fun, I want to take about four elements of this and develop them a little bit. So number one, and I'll repeat these a few times, and all of our notes are on the website if you want to, want to read through them or hear the message again. Number one, this exhortation be begins in a relational concept of mercy. This exhortation from Paul begins in the relational context between us and God of mercy. God's speaking to the uh, will of Jesus' followers through Paul to decide and to act. In view of mercy, go for it. That, but the exhortation begins with this relational understanding of mercy. 
mercy is a foundational part of a believer's relationship with God. The, a sinful person before a holy God, we sang a lot about holiness. Mercy is a foundational part of that. Mercy is forgiveness. That's one part of mercy, which is undeserved by a holy, um, from a holy God. But it's also the withholding of punishment. So what part of the mercy of God is, I forgive you for what you've done, and I'm not going to give it to you. I mean, give it to you bad the way you deserve it. I'm going to forgive you, and we have relationship, and I'm going to withhold my judgment that we all know we truly deserve. That's mercy. Not just an attitude, but an action on God's part to forgive us. To say, Robin, I forgive you. We don't have anything, but that I know of, <laughs> for doing a God thing. I forgive you for what you've done, and I'm not going to put on you what you deserve in terms of judgment. It's compassion expressed in a tangible way from God. It's the heart and the action to alleviate the suffering of people. I mean, you, know what it, you probably know what it feels like to suffer under the judgment and the conviction of sin. And when someone says, you did it, yes, and you deserve bad, yes, but I forgive you. And I'm not going to give you what you deserve. That's mercy. Uh, A pastor I like a lot, Sam Storms, has a commentary uh, on his website about this particular passage. And just to be honest, I read a lot of it and stole a whole bunch of stuff from him, just to let you know. And he talks about the mercies that are the context of Romans 12 that Paul alluded to in Romans 11. I won't explain, or Romans 1 through 11. I won't explain them all, but just hear them. Justification, you've been made right with God. Adoption and love, you've been called into a relationship, a, a father-son, a father-daughter relationship with the, with the king of the universe. You're no longer under the law, which means you've got to get it right or you get it bad, but you're under grace, which means everything you have comes from God. The Holy Spirit's been given as a gift. That's mercy. We have help in affliction. When it gets hard, God's not away from us. He's with us, whether we know it or feel it or not. We have confidence in our security. We know where we'll be for eternity, but we also know where we are now in God's loving care. And that never ends. And we know that there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God in Jesus. There's no separation. So here's what we wake up in every day of our lives, mercy. I mean, I think of it like, well, I didn't always think about it, but as of yesterday, I thought of it like this. I wake up in mercy. I didn't die in the night. That's mercy. You woke up. My friend Matthew, who used to sit right there, would say, I would say, nice to see you, Matthew. And he said, better to be seen than viewed. He said that every Sunday. (laughs) Mercy that we wake up in is God didn't take us out in the night. We're still alive. We're still breathing. We wake up in that. So from the relational context of mercy, what is it that Paul exhorts us to do? So I just want you to hear in in this pattern for daily living, number one is we wake up in mercy. Just recognizing forgiveness, withholding of punishment, life itself because of what God's done for us. So what do we do? We present ourselves to God holy. 
I don't mean holy H like God. I mean holy, holy, our entire selves, body, soul, and spirit, every aspect of ourselves, we give ourselves to God. The, the description Paul actually gives is like a living sacrifice, like climbing up onto the altar and going like this and say, God, do whatever you want. Fire, what do we talk about? Fire, wind, rain, you know, bring it all. God, whatever you want, bring it to me. This is our whole self. Not just our sinful flesh. I know we got some troubles in the body. Sometimes it, you know, living in this body, it wants to do things that we know are not right. God's, Paul's not just talking about the sinful body, the flesh. He's talking about the whole self, every aspect of us. Present it to God as a living sacrifice. It's interesting what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say yield to God, though that's a good thing. He doesn't say surrender to God, though that's a good thing. But both of those terms feel a little bit reluctant, right? You know, like you're in a fight with God, oh, I yield. Or, okay, I'm about to be beaten, so I surrender. Those are great things in relation to God, to yield and to surrender. But it's not what Paul says here. Paul says, present yourselves to God as a willing offering of the entire being. He says, just willingly climb up on the altar and say, God, everything comes from you. You got it all. Here's my whole self. In other words, please hear this in context. Don't just dedicate to God your gifts, your emotions, your resources, your time. Those are all good things. But Paul is exhorting us to give everything our entire selves. This presentation of ourselves to God will be seen in what we do. It will be known how, to what extent we're presenting ourselves to God because the way, one way we worship is with ourselves out in the world every day. I mean, they, they say that the truest theology is not what a person believes, but what they live from. And so you see their theological understanding, the deepest truth in the way they live. So a question, can you imagine, would you be okay saying to God, my thinking and my doing each day is worship to you? Don't hear condemnation there. The bad guy will come and say bad things, but hear the conviction of, okay, God, if I look at my life every day, is what I think and what I do, could I say, God, here's my worship? It's, it's, an, inv it's an invitation into a different way to think about how we walk in the world, and in Christ. As your body, this thing God gave, submits to your soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, and as our soul, all this submits to our spirit, the place where we connect with God, and then as our spirit submits to the Holy Spirit who rules all things, that's the alignment of the believer in daily life. Now, Paul's talking to the Romans, and I won't go into a big uh, discussion of Roman culture, but they knew them some sacrifice. The Romans knew what sacrifice looked like. Bloody, pagan, disgusting, stinking sacrifice. Burned, animals, stuff, people. They knew what sacrifice looked like. So for Paul to say to this culture, these people, um, present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. It would have been pretty alarming. 
Like, you know, all that stuff that's out there, be one of those. Stick yourself up on the altar and let God consume you and do whatever he wants. To lay yourself on the altar like that to be consumed by God would be an alarming thing for the people reading this in the first century. It sounds wild and it sounds extreme. It sounds like God. Wild and extreme. Some people would do this for mercy, right? Um, how many, don't, don't show your hands, it'll be too alarming for all of us. How many of you um, have been in that situation where there was something really bad going on and you said, here's your prayer, God, if you get me out of this pickle, I will serve you for the rest of my life, right? That's laying yourself before God for mercy. If I do all this, you, you'll be nice to me, right? I, you, you be nice to me, I'll do anything for you. We as believers do it from mercy. We don't present ourselves every time like, oh God, if you really do it for me today, then I'll give myself to you. No, because of what God's done, in light of God's mercy, we say, here we are. We don't do it for mercy, presenting ourselves. We do it from mercy. That's where he started the whole thing. We wake up in mercy. We walk in mercy. We live in mercy. We go to sleep in mercy. We will die in mercy. So imagine beginning every day like this and then following through by action in the way we live our lives of worship in the world. Um, I only heard John Wimber, founder of the Vineyard, speak one time. I think um, I think I might have passed him in the hallway once. <laughs> There's my big claim to fame. But uh, his um, definition of worship that I heard him speak was one of the most powerful for me. Worship is simply freely giving our love to God. I love that because we can do that. We can do that. I can do that. I can freely give my love to God. Every single day, I can do that. And then um, in the translation that I, I mean, I memorized this verse 30 years ago in college in a different translation, which won't make a lot of sense and I won't go into it. But in that translation, uh, Paul says, which is your reasonable service of worship? Present yourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And I think what Paul is saying is, this just makes sense, doesn't it? Isn't this just logical in view of that mercy to give yourselves to God as a living sacrifice? Doesn't that just make sense? How you react to someone who lives and gives to you like God does to us. In view of what God has given to us, grace, in view of what God has not given to us, uh, judgment and condemnation, in view of what he's promised to us in the future, security for eternity. He says, this just makes sense. Give yourself to God every day and then walk out in the world in his power. All right. So from the relational context of mercy, we give ourselves body, soul, and spirit on a daily basis to God. So we've got mercy and then we've got this presentation of ourselves to God living sacrifice on the altar. God, take all of me and do with me what you will. Then Paul says this, and this is my par paraphrase, beware of the world. Beware of the world. 
Maybe what he's saying is be aware of the world. Don't let yourself be conformed to the image of the world, this, this current age, but be transformed. So he says be aware of the world. I think it's important that we say here in the, in, for believers in 2023, he doesn't say to be afraid of the world. That's, that's not what he's saying. He doesn't say be afraid of the world, run away, no good, very bad, condemn the world, bad, 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 bad world, I'm afraid. No. If we live in that relationship with the world, we will never have impact on the world. If we simply run away, we can't be the body of Christ in the midst of the world. We're called to be in the world, not of the world, not conformed to the world, not looking like the world. But man, if we're not in the world, where's Jesus? Because he's in us, right? We got to be in the world so Jesus can be in the, in the midst, showing others what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. He says, don't be conformed to this present age or don't be conformed to the world. Um, there was a little giggle over there. <laughs> I didn't think it was a funny point yet. I mean, what we can understand from this is we're all being formed by something. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Reality, we're all being formed in some way. You wake up in mercy, but then you turn on the radio, you're being formed. You open a book, you're being formed. You walk out into the world, you're being formed. Um, your spouse speaks to you, you're being formed. So we probably do have to be aware of the world and that we are being formed in some way or another with all that we do. The question is, are we being formed by the world, the popular culture, or even an old mindset of slavery and fear? Remember what you used to feel before Jesus saved you. Remember what you maybe sometimes felt before you really understood grace. I'm a slave and I'm in fear. Are we being formed by those things or are we being formed by the reality of being adopted into his family and loved by a gracious God forever and ever? What's forming us? Uh, late 50s, early 60s, I, of course, was not alive, but J.B. Phillips wrote a paraphrase of the New Testament, and this is how J.B. Phillips paraphrased this part of Romans 12. He says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold you, remold your minds from within. Don't go out and be formed in the pattern of the world, but let God do something inside with the renewing of your mind. Let him reform you. We're all being formed. Do we want to be formed in the image of Jesus? We do. If you didn't, you wouldn't be sitting here on a Sunday morning. We want to be formed. By what do you want to be formed? By whom do you want to be formed? To what end do you want to be formed? And I'm not going to go into a, a tirade for 20 minutes about the ways the world forms us in negative ways. We've all seen it. We've all experienced it. There's enough of that out there. Be aware of the world so that you won't walk out into the world and look like it. Be con be con don't be conformed to the world. Mike Bickle says it. I've quoted a lot. I love it. You become what you behold. You become 
but you behold. You begin to look like that which you consistently set your gaze upon. The more we're looking at something, hearing something, the more we become like it. I think there's an algorithm out there in the world that the more you see something, the more you are that, right? Isn't that sort of the, 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 the gotcha of social media? The more you look, the more you get. So the more you look, the more you get. And all of a sudden, you look like something you don't want to look like. I think that's the way the world works. I'm not condemning social media. That's not what I mean. I'm saying be aware. Be aware. I think that's what Paul would say to us this morning. Be aware. Remember, this is a daily pattern. The relational context of God's mercy, we present ourselves wholly to God. We're aware of what influences us. Not afraid, but aware of what influences us to look like the world. And now, Paul says, allow yourself to be or cooperate with God so that you'd be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's still formation happening. Paul's just saying, be aware of the world. Don't be conformed to that so you look like that, but come to God and cooperate with him so you can be transformed. Yes, the Greek word is metamorphosis. It's you want to be different. You want to be remade. You want to be molded into the image of Jesus. In the same way that co being conformed to the world is passive, it has its uh, effect on you, this word to be transformed is also passive, meaning that only God can do the transforming work. Sometimes in our zeal to follow Jesus, we do all sorts of things, our spiritual disciplines, our prayer, our Bible study, giving to the poor, serving, all great things. But we think, if I do these things then I'll be changed. I think we need to remember, those disciplines don't change us. Those disciplines are the ways that we present ourselves to God so God can come and do what only God can do, make us like Jesus. You can read the Bible every day for 40 years and not look like Jesus. I might want to take that back. <laughs> Except I think it's true. But if in reading the word, you're presenting yourself to God and saying, God, I don't just want information from the word. I want to be formed by the word, scripture and son. I want to be, I want to be formed by this. Then God's doing the work of transformation within us. I hope I was clear about that. We have a part in transformation, but it's God who really does the work. Again, what's interesting is it's all about beholding. Paul says, don't behold the world in a way that it would form you, but behold God in a way that he'll form you. So Paul, in another letter to the Corinthians, he writes 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with unveiled face, that means nothing keeping us from Jesus, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul is just dialing into the same thing. The more we look at him, the more we become like him. The more we sit in adoration of God, the more we sit in worship, the more we soak in the word, the more we let ourselves be in God's presence. Not always doing, sometimes just being in God's presence beholding the glory, the, the image, the presence of God 
we are being changed. As we look at God, we begin to feel, look, and act like God. Being transformed by God is not a one-time thing. There's salvation, and I'm new, and I'm changed. That's, that's awesome, but it's not a one-time thing. It's an over and over. It's a daily process of allowing him and all he is to change us and all we are. That's the work of God. Three things I would just throw in there in your notes or in your brain. Ways, mechanisms that God uses to transform us. The presence of God, the word of God, and the people of God. That would be three more sermons if I went into each one of those, so I won't right now. But consider your relationship with the presence of God, the word of God, the Bible, and the people of God, fellowship or community. In order to think differently and to live differently, we'll probably have to create some new habits in our lives. So consider the habits that you have that God would bring change. Um, Last part of that verse, Paul just says, these things enable us to discern the will of God. Some translations don't say discern, they say prove the will of God. So I I don't think this is about if you do all this, then you'll know what God wants you to do. Do I buy buy that car, marry that person, move to Noblesville, whatever. Those are all good things that God wants to speak to us, I think. But I think if we understand this as proving God's will, what we're really saying is if we understand mercy, present ourselves to God, don't let ourselves be conformed to the world, but be transformed by a mind renewal, then we can go out and show the world what Jesus looks like. We're proving to the world, not in a look at me way, but in a look at Jesus way. So we actually walk into the world showing the world what the actions and the attitude of Jesus look like in a broken human like us. J.B. Phillips says it this way, let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. The world needs to see that, and we'd probably like to as well. So remember, it's a daily pattern, beginning each day in the relational context of mercy, presenting ourselves wholly to God, being consciously aware of what forms us in the world, cooperating with God and his transforming power to make us like Jesus. And now the exhortation ends in the relational context of grace and humility. Starts with mercy, ends with grace. Sounds like God. Starts in mercy, ends with grace and an attitude of humility. Romans 12.3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly. As God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. You you know what sensibly means, right? Because we've all had that, like we think about our gifts and ourselves, and then we have these imaginations of, and then the rockets will come down from heaven, and the light will show on me, and everyone will see that I'm the most amazing person on earth, right? Am I the only one that thinks like that? Paul just says, let's be sensible. (laughs) Let's just be sensible. Because everything we have is grace. Everything comes from God. That's grace. If mercy is God not giving us what we rightly deserve, 
then grace is God in his love giving us what we don't deserve and could never earn. The difference between mercy and grace. And guess what? Our lives are bound by them. So recognize everything that you have comes from God as a pure gift. And then think about yourself in an accurate way. I hate to go from uh, the Apostle Paul to Brene Brown, but I'll do it anyway. (laughs) Brene Brown says, um, don't shrink back, don't puff up, just stand your sacred ground. It's good. It's good. Don't puff up, look at me, I'm amazing. Don't shrink back, I'm a lousy, no good slime. But stand in your sacred ground. I am who Jesus made me. I have his gifts. I have his glory. I have his presence. Now I'm going to go out into the world. I won't be perfect, but God's going to do something amazing. I I think it's good. What if this became our daily pattern? What if we did wake up in mercy? What if we did remember that God had forgiven us? What if we did present ourselves every day to him? What if we did worship him with our bodies, our minds, our souls every single day out in the world? What if we were aware of the way that the world can influence us and we cooperated with God so that his transforming power could make us look like Jesus? What if we did remember that everything was gift and we saw ourselves accurately as sons and daughters loved by God, given the exact gifts that he determined to give us? What if we walked into the world with that humility? I think that's God's call on our lives. What a day that would be if we did that. That could be every day. Let's stand. If I could ask the ministry team to come forward just in the front as we want to pray for people. Before we pray, is there anything, discernment? You may know that we've got uh, people sitting over here in the front row um, every Sunday to hear what God might be saying through his people to his people. Anything? Bring it. Don't be shy. Tell us your name. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm Delana. Hi. Stacy has a word, and then Dale, if you could pop up real quick. No, we can give Dale's. I'll give Dale's. For ministry time, he had the impression that um, if you have pain in your elbow, that there is a word of knowledge that we will pray for that and God will move in, the, in, his, in your behalf. I'm Stacy Baptist. Um, I had a picture of like an old um, uh, tree trunk that was, and you know how they, they're, when they're, they, they kind of glaze over or heal over, I guess, and they're, they become kind of, I guess they're dead. I don't, I don't know if they're literally dead, but it seems like they are. And God poured out water onto it, and and a little sprout came out of it. And I felt like um, the picture meant that there were, I think I'm one of those people, but there were other people here too that were feeling like they were sort of dead, they're lifeless. And God is saying, no, you're not. If you'll allow me to pour um, or to receive more of me, life will sprout out. And then Audra had one in relation to your message about presenting. Okay, so um, when you said presenting, I was reminded that when 
my sister and I were real little, and we have we had great parents, praise God, um, when we were real little, so I was maybe two and she was maybe four, um, we would put on shows for our parents, and um, I was always the announcer, obviously, and, um, uh, and I would go, presenting, and that was always how we introed it. Um, and so when we said presenting before putting on a show, um, we did so squarely positioned in our parents' delight. We knew boldly that our parents delighted in us and had great jolly anticipation for whatever we were cooking up for them and that they were on a hair trigger to celebrate with us and cheer us on. And so I was just thinking about presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice um, to God. And for me, there's always been a heaviness to that and almost a darkness to that. Um, and uh, I just wonder if there's more of the delight of Papa um, in it than maybe we always think about. And um, that he's he's ready to kind of chuckle with us in delight as he receives what we're um, doing with him. Yeah. Thank you, Audra. That's great. All right. Good. Um, is that, is that so a couple more people, ministry team up here. If, if uh, anything in the message, maybe when you first were hearing Romans 12 and we were in silence, maybe in worship, maybe on the car here, um, maybe it's an elbow, uh, maybe it's uh, needing the water of life on a place that feels dead, maybe it's this delight in Papa's uh, gaze upon you. Any of those uh, resonate, come forward and have someone pray for you. God, we thank you for this day, for your words to us. Thank you, God, for your people presented here. Thank you, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you come and move and do your work among us. And send us into the world in your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.